Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Hello and welcome to a celebratory Irish Times Second Captain's Podcast. Oh, my David Kira, Murphy and Kennedy all here, all celebrating. Six Nations champs. I own it. On the double. On the double own. I should really start by apologising to my couch, though. Okay. Uh, I have no idea what I was doing to it during the final... If you're listening, couch, I don't know what I was doing to you during those final moments of the England-France game. The penalty was awarded against England. And I, I've been on my feet, obviously, as most people have. I don't, I don't know when the last time I had sat on the couch was, sometime in the middle of the Ireland game. Mm. So I was standing about an inch away from the TV, destroying my eyes. Uh, the penalty was awarded to France at the end, and we all assumed the ball was about to be kicked out. I, I sort of veered off in celebration to the right-hand side of my living room, doubled back towards my couch, because I had been so close to it early on in the day, I thought yeah. I'd better reacquaint myself with it. I started running almost sideways along the back cushions, if you, know, if you can picture free running or parkour do you know that? Yeah. is this something Sport. that really happened though yeah that's the way I remember it really yeah okay so what happened then well I mean you're already disputing you're asking me did this really happen and well, then no, asking I'm, what happened I'm, next I'm, I'm, I've decided to accept this really happened what, what happened then uh, well then I realised that those crazy French bastards again. <laughs> <laughs> they weren't kicking the ball out at all no they wanted so to I got score so I got back try. off whatever manoeuvre I was doing with the couch I, I quit that and uh, yeah went off I, I actually have to say that the amount of time I spent worrying what the hell the French were doing was actually, it was a very, very small amount of time because like Owen, I had I had kind of, in my head, I'd ran off in celebration. We had won the Six Nations and then it was maybe the second time that the French tried to recycle the ball. I was like, Oh, they've they've continued the game in a in a sort of a, a jokey kickabout fashion. We've had such a laugh. Let's play for another couple of minutes just for laughs. Yeah. You know, the game's obviously over. You've obviously kicked the ball out of play. I know that you did that. You would never do that to us. Uh, and then it dawned on me, nearly as he was kicking it out just to end the game, my God, what are they doing? They're about to lose us the Six Nations Championships to lunatics. You enjoyed it, Ken? But, uh, yeah, we got there. Well, I, I'm a big admirer of French rugby. 
I knew they'd never lose to England by the requisite, uh, <laughs> requisite margin. You saw the picture of the French guy celebrating. Um, Rory Cockett. Rory yeah. <laughs> well, he, no, he was he was celebrating the moment that they kept England out at the end and won their penalty. Yeah. He wasn't celebrating he was at celebrating. the final whistle, which is a, a slight distinction that needs to be made. He wasn't celebrating mm. a twenty-one point defeat. No, still, it was. He assumed, like all of us, it was that, pretty funny. That, that ball was was not going to be returned. Yeah. Return one of his teammates went off. I really don't. Un- I really don't understand the thinking there. Although they were going, if they're going for another try, I mean, who can? Who can um, question the well, French? It, but the spirit there was... of Castagnet and yeah. Saint-André and uh, uh, Serge Blanco. They've belatedly found it in the 81st minute uh, when camped under the There's a brief moment there where you, where you realise, you come to this horrible realisation that the French won't kick it out. If they didn't kick it out, if, if Huger went with it, and you could see him consulting with a couple of guys as yeah. well. A couple of his very tired looking forwards. Yeah. They said, yeah, just keep going there. <laughs> just, yeah, well, let's try and get another try. You're thinking, no, this can only end two ways. France go length of the field, Saint-André, yeah. try from the end of the earth, nonsense. Or far more likely to get turned over, <laughs> concede a penalty, and we have to start hating France again. I, I hated France enough around the Henri Ball again. I couldn't yeah. I have no more hate for those you guys. Know, uh, you know, Cockett went on uh, Twitter <laughs> later, that, later on Saturday night and said, uh, en français, uh, never happy to lose, but pride shown there tonight all the way until the 80th minute. Hashtag Grosse Defense. Uh, so I think he felt... Grosse Defense. They conceded a record <laughs> number, <laughs> number of points for any French team but against England. In that England. 80th minute, they kept a clean sheet. It's the worst defensive performance ever by any French team yeah. against uh, England in the history of, of rugby. Listen, Rory, as Rory Cockett would say, nobody puts more than 55 points on France. <laughs> That's, uh, that's they just shall not pass. So yeah. many Unlikely heroes Cockett was one of them James Haskell For ludicrously Getting himself Yellow carded For tripping a French player When there was Even if that French player Was about to go Under the posts I would argue You're better Still off better Letting, him, letting yeah. him score You stay on there Haskell And he wasn't about To go under the post So that was madness Simon McDowell Easy to forget It was so early on In the day But redemption For the greatest TMO That Ireland's ever produced mm. Remember this is a guy In 2007 Cost us the Six Nations yeah. By awarding a try To France against Scotland This time Twice he came to our rescue I think one at, at either end uh, Ruling out an Italian try Ruling out a Welsh try And um, giving The uh, try to the French Which had what, what no, giving, giving, occasion, yeah, right? no, he was in the Wales-Italy game. At least on one occasion. Maybe I'm crediting with too much here, Simon McDowell. But yeah, for the gra- gravel-voiced Simon McDowell reappeared, shudders straight away. What about you? Oh, yeah, I'll check that ground and no bother. <laughs> That's <laughs> not what Simon McDowell says. Simon like. McDowell. It is. Well, he's that was Daniel man. McDonald, uh, Murph. And, uh, Daniel O'Donnell. Daniel O'Donnell. <laughs> <laughs> not Daniel McDonald, Irish Independent. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, it's, it's much harsher. It's, it was from uh, the the east, the northeast of the island, not the northwest. Now, I must say, I was one of the people who I feel silly about it now. But I thought, why are these three matches taking place consecutively? I mean, it's it's ridiculous. It's antiquated. Surely they should be all on together. It's the fair way to do it. Uh, but it turns out it's actually not the most exciting way. Or or is it? Well, it could have been quite exciting if they played it, if all of this was happening at the same time. Well, no, because each each kind of crazy game. I mean, the well, the Wales game was the only one that happened, you know, under its own sort of steam. Uh, but the Ireland and England games were clearly affected by the fact that by the kind of by special conditions that yeah, they had to yeah. start under. So I mean, if you've got teams that need to win by twenty points and you've got a difference, and you get, yeah, suddenly oh, it turns no, out no, it's no, not no. quite as hard to score in rugby as everybody thought. Just as long as everybody's taking crazy risks uh, all the time. Well, I mean, in the England France game, that seemed to be the case. But if you're on the Ireland team and you're hearing the messages getting on the pitch, oh Wales have scored another yeah. try. 
Well, it would can, have been too can, late. Can I talk you through it? I'll talk right. you through it, yeah. So if, if the games were played simultaneously on Saturday afternoon, just taking the last 20 minutes, say, right? On the 60th minute, England are plus 53, Ireland are plus 53, and Wales are plus 41, right? So Wales are out of it, right? France get a try in Twickenham. We're 100%. We're in charge. Uh, 62nd minute, Ireland kick a penalty through Johnny Sexton. We go further ahead on points average, back to plus 56. England reply with a try in Twickers there, back to plus 55. Uh, France reply almost immediately. We're back in front by six points. Wales look at, and Wales are completely out of it now. This is like the 67th minute. Wales are completely out of it. Then they get a try in the 67th minute. Then they get another try in the 69th minute. And then they get another try in the 73rd minute. Imagine how mental we would be going at the Italians at this stage. That they've thrown the towel into this extent. They lead from nowhere now with a points average of plus 60. But it's cool because... Simultaneously to that third or that third Welsh try in six minutes by Scott Williams, Sean O'Brien goes over for his second try. We're now back on top with the points yes, difference of plus sixty-three. So at this stage, with uh, eight minutes to go, England need thirteen points in those eight minutes. They immediately get over halfway there with a try in the seventy-fifth minute mm-hmm. from Jack Noel. Wales still only need a converted penalty to tie with Ireland on points difference going into the last seven minutes. A converted penalty. A com- oh, yeah, I'm sorry, a penalty. Penalty. That's all they need, just yeah. three points, because that would tie them with us on plus 63. And they've got more tries. And they have more tries. So instead of getting... So in fairness, when you read it like this, Wales are... They are getting screwed here. <laughs> so instead of getting those three points, they go all out to try and get another try. Concede to Leonardo Sarto in the 80th minute. England fa- uh, failed to convert when they're camped on the French line. And uh, Ian Madigan lines up a kick. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, Let's Oof. just say Ian Madigan could be very relieved that this particular chain of, uh, of events didn't roll out quite as it did. But he kicks it wide, harmlessly wide as it turns out, and uh, we are eventually uh, crowned So champions. we're still champions under this simultaneous, because I'm yeah. confused. But I mean... You know, the Welsh needed three points. The problem is that if the games had been played simultaneously, Ireland would have beaten Scotland by eight points. England would have beaten France, you know, 25-3. Mm. And um, Wales would have won the championship, possibly. Well, yeah. I just, I just don't think. I mean, a game as insane as that England France game could only could only happen because England were saying, "Okay, we're just going to give everything to score as many as we can." We're gonna, I mean, they were giving away the the most basic tries I've ever seen. The was, French are just running away down the left side, and you're looking at what <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> what what are England doing? But you know, they they they're kind of constantly throwing everything into attack, and suddenly. It turns out that if uh, rugby teams were only prepared to do that. Oh, well, it sounds like a Matt Williams line of thought there, Kev, would be speaking to Matt today. Well, it's, it's, it's not... round nine of Ward Gatty, basically. Yeah. Just England and France just go, right, well, you know, only one of us is probably going to survive. But it's, this, it, so. it turns out that France France themselves have been blamed, Saint-André has been blamed, the culture there has been blamed for producing these drab teams over the last couple of years. It turns out it's everybody else's fault. If you engage France... Yeah, in a as you say in a Ward Gatty brawl, they will they will take the take that <laughs> They'll on. Take They'll take marginally punches. more, well, quite a bit more punches than uh, was throw, but they will throw a lot of punches. Uh, the Ireland women's team completed the double yesterday, as we mentioned. They decided they had enough of all the stress, completed their points chase with forty three to spare. They had yeah. done it by half time, and they still had to press it home in the second half. But I think by half time, we were starting to think that um, the Scots mightn't be up to this task. Uh, Jenny Murphy was particularly good in the centre throughout the game. We'll chat to her on today's podcast. I mentioned Matt Williams, didn't I? Yeah, Dennis Hickey as well. Dennis is going to be in studio. And Shane Horgan is one of the lucky ones who was at Murrayfield. Joins us now. Shane, an enjoyable day's work for you? 
It was. It didn't feel like work. I can tell you on Saturday, it was. It was fantastic. And from from minute one, um, the way they set out their stall, um, they uh, were just you know they played a remarkable game of rugby, very high skill level. The way they moved the ball across the back line was as good as they've done it in twelve months. And um, I think you know they deserved. In, they deserved a championship victory based on a, on a, a great performance in a truly remarkable days uh, days rugby. Yeah. It was, I, I haven't. I don't think I've seen anything quite like it before. Have you not? I mean, no, nobody seems to have. And you were there for the. You were at Murrayfield. How did you experience the the rest of the day, the England France game? Um, the, well, um, we came in after I had a few bits and bobs to do afterwards um, for RTE, and then we watched um, the first half of the England France game. Um, on the there's a TV screen just in the tunnel as you're going out onto the pitch at Murrayfield and uh, myself and Ron O'Gara were there watching it and we were joined um, throughout the half by you know some management would come in and then a couple of the the um, strength and conditioning guys and then players filtered out and by I think by half time almost everybody uh, or you know the majority of the team were watching it there and uh, then I think they went up to went up to their function and myself and Ronan went uh, back into town we met up with uh, Paddy Wallace and and, uh, and Paddy Jackson bizarrely in the car park and we then went to a hotel and, and watched the the second half from um, a bar in the hotel um it was it was a really strange um, it was a really strange situation to be in, and you know, I I had the feeling I didn't think um, I didn't think England could put up that many scores. Ronan was the other side. Ronan was convinced that they could put up a big number on them. He thought they were going to do it on the car on the way in at at half time. He was he thought it was over for Ireland. Both of us were sort of thinking about things in the same way that. It's not that it didn't matter that we won the championship, and it's easy for us to say that not being part of it. But the, the performance in against Scotland was so good that um, there was something going to be gained out of the weekend anyway, even if it wasn't a championship. You, where did that performance come from against Scotland? Because you said in your Sunday Times column yesterday that you'd heard a target of 15 was what was in the heads of the, of the players and management during the week. That's what they were looking at. Then suddenly Wales, we, we were half joking about it on the show last week, that it might be good for Wales to hammer Italy and m- make us chase a higher target. Is, is that, did, did, that, is, did that end up being the case? It actually was probably not a bad thing for us to focus the mind and think of getting into the 20s this is on well, uh, trying to claim credit for this by the way Shane yeah, well done, well yeah. thank you thank you uh, another, another first for second captains <laughs> yeah. um, I think I think the way um, they were thinking I, I think less so about the Wales and I, you know, in retrospect I was quite dismissive of, of Wales putting up a score on Italy and again I, I spoke to Ronan before the game and Ronan was very bullish on um, Wales potentially putting up a big score and it, of course it didn't look like that at half time and then they just blew them away uh, Italy rolled over imploded we did speak about uh, actually a couple of sim bins and the effect that, that would have and it did prove to have a big effect so yeah I was thinking maybe if 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 uh, Ireland had to put up a score of you know something around that, I think we said up to up to you know the late teens, something like that. That would that's a really good carrot. But I think the perspective was coming from from England. And if you look at it, England in the last three games against France in Twickenham have beaten them on average by 15 points. And I think that maybe is where the 15 figure came from. I think that was, from what I'm led to believe, that was a mantra all week. It was 15% more, you know, we need 15% improvement in these different areas. And then that will lead to a 15 you know, point victory. But, you know, we, they went out on the field at halftime. 
I went out in the field uh, for the warm up, and uh, there was a point in the Italy uh, Italy Wales game. They came back in, and they, they needed all of a sudden they needed twenty three, and uh, I think that's something. It, it wasn't being sugar coated. I think that one of the last things that Joe said to him before he went out was said, We're, "You need twenty plus lads," and that pressure is something that normally you wouldn't want to put on players or. That would be the perspective of a lot of coaches to go just go out and win the game. But I think they were very aware it wasn't about just winning the game. Winning the game wasn't enough. They had to put points on. And to do that, they had to play a certain way. And they did it. Uh, I don't know if you've seen these quotes from uh, Mike Brown after the game. But uh, he said, massive credit to the French for the way they fronted up for this game and for the way they played. <clears throat> compared to a few other countries. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I don't know what you make of that. Well, I, you know, I don't know if I would have been stating it if I was Mike Brown, but I completely sympathise with him because um, there was there was four teams, you know, did something special at the weekend, and um, Wales's performance was remarkable. And on any other Saturday, it would deserve to win the Six Nations. Ireland's performance against Scotland did deserve to win the Six Nations, and England's um, and and it did. And England's performance against Wales, scoring uh, against France, scoring that many points against a French team, and I don't care what um, you know sort of disorder the French are in to score that many points against them was really deserving of winning a championship, and they didn't. And France contributed brilliantly by really putting up a, a, a really powerful performance and trying as hard as they could although now, although Shane they did concede 55 points so Mike Brown's argument there's, there's got to be a hole or two in it there I know yeah, France the tried is, but, but they, were, they were going for it they were yeah. going for it and they they contributed I think I'm not saying that a French performance was brilliant and was far from it but they were really you know, they, if they were going to lose and they did lose they were going to go down swinging and Italy did not go down swinging, and Scotland, I don't think, went down swinging either. Or Scotland were just played at a level. They really, to be at home against Ireland and not have won a game yet, and get beaten like that, knowing what was on the on the line, I, I think it was a really abject performance by Scotland. Was it a relief to you, Shane, that Ireland could produce this type of game under these type of circumstances? It's 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 brilliant. It's it's so. Um, cheering and so uh, uplifting that they've got this and we knew it we know because we've seen the players for um, Leinster and, and Ulster and Munster but did you doubt like did, did you start doubting um, like a lot of people have that, that Schmidt was ever going to go that way again but and, or the whole idea that international this idea that international rugby is so much um, so different that there's no way that um, that that type of rugby can be successful and what we've seen now, these things we've said on the show many times that this, these things can be secular and every so often defensive rugby gets on top. And it did around the World Cup in um, 2000, it was a 2009, the, the France, French World Cup. It got on top and it was defensive rugby. And then a couple of teams started having a go and deciding actually there's another way to play here. And I think more than anything, it opened the eyes for the coaches in the Six Nations and the players that you can have a huge amount of success uh, by playing attacking rugby. Now, the other thing that I think it shows is how limiting uh, um, stress can be. And and at the start of a Six Nations championship, it's very stressed and players are inhibited. And there was there was so there was a removal of inhibition on Saturday, and that's why the good rugby was played because they knew each team knew that they had to go for it, and they were having to score points. And that release it took a bit of the pressure off, 
Um, certainly took a bit of pressure off Wales. I think Ireland, there was still pressure on them. That's why their performance was so good. And England also as well, I have to say. Their performance was so good, knowing they had to put up those scores. Um, I just think it has shown them all that there's another way to play and there's another opportunity to be very successful in the World Cup. But surely though, when the World Cup comes around, the inhibitions go back. You say Ireland oh, playing France in the World Cup. So how do you, yeah, how do you balance the whole thing? Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying that it's simple. I'm not saying that you can play that loose all the time and you're not always going to have all players firing as they did, um, especially across the back line in Ireland. But what the coach has to do, yes, Joe's one of his roles is to give them a game plan. One of the goals is to upskill them and have them all buy in and create a happy camp. And the other one is to remove inhibition and allow them to make, you know, I think Joe's all about getting them to make the right, the right decision, give them option to make the right decision. I think for the Six Nations, up until Saturday, I think they were just bordering on the little bit too conservative. I think they were a little bit too conservative in the decision making. The opportunity to, to um, not just to throw the pass, but I thought, like I'll give you the best example I can find. I thought our wing play was too deep. This whole Six Nations, I thought. So when when Sexton uh, or the and the twelve or there's sometimes a wrap with the forwards um, in the inside, I think it was holding the defenses quite well. Even though Sexton wasn't as deep uh, as flat as he normally could be. That next pass around the corner, that's normally a strike pass, was a little bit too deep. And that's because players were just not, they were making the decision to be a little bit deeper, have a little bit more time on the ball, and not put quite as much pace on it. It makes everything a little bit easier. And um, now, they were flatter at the weekend, and it made things more difficult for them, and it challenged their skill level. But they were able to it, and they were up to that, that higher skill level. And as a result, they got better rewarded for it. So it's as simple as this. You can play a little bit more conservatively in either your decision-making or your alignment and the way you attack the ball, and you can, you can be more passive in your attack. Or you can you know, th- threaten the line a bit more, put yourself under more pressure and see if your skill c- copes with it. Because if it does cope with it, you'll get busts. Not to get ahead of ourselves, Shane, but are we going to win the World Cup? Oh, without a shadow of a doubt. That's what you wanted um, to hear, yeah. I t- listen, I don't know how we're going to do in the World Cup, but what we can definitively say now is we've got players that are highly skilled. And we knew that anyway, but we know that they're comfortable. They can do it under pressure circumstances um, when they have to, and they can put the foot down. And they have, I think they have a coach, and I think they have a core group of players now that have the capacity to do something brilliant. Having to deal with all the other things that a World Cup brings is as difficult or as important as having, you know, those first couple of points. So, yes, they need the skill level, they need the type of players, they need the levers, they need the the coach, but the mental side of things is something different. And they need to play, be able to play with the inhibition and to be feel as if they can go after it and they're good enough to win it. Now, that's up to Joe and it's up to the players to get their head around it. Um, we went to a World Cup um, in 2007, uh, thinking that uh, you know, the France World Cup, thinking that you know we had a potential to win it, and we didn't deal with the mental side at all, and we came horribly unstuck. I don't think that's going to happen to um, to this team, but I do think that their success will be based on how well they deal with the mental side, because I think we've seen and they've answered it many times physically. Is and skill wise, um, I think they have the capacity to, you know, if not win it, like not be far off. Shane, sounds good, brilliant stuff. Thanks, Million. Thanks, Emil.
I like that idea of the 50. Maybe we should go into every match with the idea of a 15-point mantra. Everything has to be 15% better. Mm. Everything has to be... I, for one, would be very disappointed if we beat New Zealand in the World Cup final by 14 points. I mean, I would just think, you know, where <laughs> are our standards? You know, what, what are we doing here? You know, we're either aiming for these standards or we're not. Shane Horgan bumping into Paddy Wallace there reminds me that I watched BBC did a, a preview program on Friday night, BBC Northern Ireland. Yeah. And you won't be surprised to know that Tommy Bowes try was voted as Ireland's greatest ever Grand Six and Nations try by quite a distance. But no, was, there, were, there were some entertaining contributors. They did a, a funny package, a, a standalone sort of, almost, you know, these kind of TV essays with with Paddy, uh, Paddy Wallace. There was no, uh, it was funny because there was no context given as to Paddy Wallace, one of the great Ulster players ever. Mm. He did really well for Ireland. It was just, here's the guy who nearly threw away the Grand Slam. And Paddy Wallace really eloquently spoke about how he was feeling when Stephen Jones's kick, after he'd given away the penalty in 2009, Stephen Jones's kick, he said he thought it was going over. Then he saw it spinning too much, more than it should have done, and realised it was going short. He said, my life never would have been the same again, either way. It was all quite dramatic stuff. And uh, I'd say Ian Madigan could be doing a similar package in a few years' time, explaining oh. the missed kick. Yeah. Well, I, th- I, think it's, yeah, I think in ways, you know, the Madigan thing, you can actually... When I was watching, I was like, oh, please don't. Let's be talking about Ian Madigan. <laughs> yeah, morning, a lot of know? people are having that thought. God, yeah. like, just let let just that let's just let that go by as just three points, three points less that we're going to win the championship by yeah. rather than uh, losing the championship. Yeah, there, there were a lot of three point swings over the course of the day, a lot of seven point swings. Yeah, but that wouldn't look like it, it. It almost hurt us. Yeah, and I, I think it's well, I think it's one of those days where you could actually pick out a million and one different like moments you know the the Sarto try for instance act like they're just all over the shop given the fact there were 27 tries scored I know yeah but just, just that in this case Madigan f- fitted into my <laughs> into your uh, into my yes, little okay, link there so that's here. why I went for that one Simon's popped over uh, we're going to be talking to Matt Williams in a moment but Simon's here how are you how you doing uh, pretty good and Dennis Hickey is here Dennis how are things Hey, how are you? You were at Murrayfield on... Um, you can sound more excited, Dennis. We've just won a, another another Six Nations. <laughs> you were at Murrayfield on um, on Saturday. Oh, yes, yeah. it, it, did you, what, how did you... We asked Shane how he experienced the, the sort of post-match. You, I, I don't, uh, you shot off after I didn't the, hang around too much for the post-match stuff. Um, I had to catch a flight and I ended up watching the England game from a airport bar right. um, as more and more Irish fans um, arrived in at various stages of time and drunkenness <laughs> to, to watch it. But, was, um, it was, that, was that very atmospheric or somewhat annoying? It wasn't at the start but it was by the end. Right, okay, yeah. Um, but yeah, no, the atmosphere in Murrayfield actually was fantastic and it was a beautiful day, probably the warmest and sunniest day I think I've ever had in, in, in Scotland probably, um, <laughs> not just Edinburgh. Um, but there was a great, there was a very good atmosphere and, and the, the Scots were, were were pretty crestfallen, I think, by the performance of the side after. Um, I was doing the commentary with Gavin Hastings, and he was, you know, very positive. I think a lot of people have been positive about Scottish rugby all year, and uh, I think they're very disappointed with the performance of the side. But the everyone arrived at the game, you know, in, in very good spirits, and there was a lot of Irish over. Um, and yeah, but it, O'Connell and Schmidt and others have. Yeah, I know you have to say nice things about the fans, but they seem genuinely quite touched by. Yeah, support. there was a bigger crowd. Like I obviously played there a few times, but I had a bigger, a bigger Irish crowd as. As I'd seen, and you know the, the, the fact that Ireland got off to such a good start and then you know played so well, the Irish fans were in were in full voice. Matt, we've been dying to hear from you. Twenty seven tries in one day was that enough running rugby for you? Mate, there was a wonderful text going around in Australia. Had breaking news: Northern Hemisphere discover, uh, discovers <laughs> that tries and running rugby is entertaining. <laughs> Mate, it was it was a revolution, wasn't it? Yeah. It was just a revolution compared to uh, the first 
four rounds, which were just, uh, you know, look, let's be honest, there was a couple of good games there or, or tense games, but they were pretty diabolic as far as uh, entertainment goes and and action goes. And, and it went from, from zero to absolutely wonderful uh, in one round. And it just... It just shows you what the teams are capable of when the reward is placed there in front of them. And uh, it, w- it was a magnificent weekend of rugby that everyone in Australia is talking about because they never talk about Six Nations rugby. And, and it's, it's breached all the international barriers that have held the Six Nations back in Australia. It, it was fantastic. Matty, we're delighted we finally got the attention of the Australian public. But if it was Christmas Day every day, it wouldn't be so great. And if we hadn't had those other weeks and great defensive performances, say from Wales the previous week, then we wouldn't appreciate what happened in that final weekend. Gee, so I love it. I was wondering what you were going to say after you kept telling me we can't play like that, we can't play like that. Look, I just think it's, it's an actual statement that, that Six Nations rugby is capable of open wonderful running rugby. Now, it wasn't an exceptional weekend. There was a lot at stake. But I, I, I think that everyone's got to just stop for a minute and look at it and say, well, was that a great weekend of rugby? It was. And rugby is a very complex game. You can't always get those weekends. But, you know, the, the old story, oh, look, it's too tense, the referees, the weather, all that. You know, and sometimes you do get bad days. But look, you go to you go to uh, New Zealand, you get bad days. You get bad days in Cape Town. You get bad days in Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane. There, there's no doubt about that. But the intent of the team, the mindset of the team, was to score of the teams was to score tries. And I I just applaud it. I thought it was fabulous. And I think the challenge for us all is how do we how do we replicate that desire, that motivation again. Because if, if we can, it's great for rugby. That brings in sponsors. That will attract more people. That, that will make rugby a really uh, valuable asset. Uh, and, and sponsors want to be part of that. The games that before that were not. Old, die-hard rugby people like us love it and watch it. And we can talk about it. We'll still watch next week. But a lot of people don't. A lot of people switch off. If rugby was like that every week... The Six Nations would be sold in Australia for millions and millions of dollars, their rights. Right now, there's no rights sold in Australia because it's boring rugby. That rugby was spectacular. Dennis? Um, yeah, I, th- I know Matt has, has I've been reading his col- columns, and uh, I think the basic the basic premise of what he's saying is true. I just think in, 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 in practice, so I think you've got to look at the dynamics that made this weekend so special. I'm not sure you can replicate that every week, but I'm pretty sure you can't. To be in, to be watching three games where one team is trying to beat the other team, and the other team is trying to beat the other team, but also beat the scoreboard. You know that can't happen every week, and that's that's what was happening. So Ireland had one eye on beating in Scotland, and one eye on beating a certain points difference. So did Wales, and so did England, and that's what made it so unique. And you can't have that in week one. You can't have that in week two. You could just only have that in week three. Now, so maybe you could say, well, if they're all watching try counts, they'd be playing like that all the time. And I think that's the that would be the the counter argument to that. Um, but I think it was so unique to have the situation where you had three sides playing. Uh, on, uh, uh, you know, ha- having to adopt such a unique mindset because of the way the fixtures had fallen. Um, so it was a one half. Well, I think, uh, yeah, I don't think you can have that every week. Now, maybe you can put incentives to, 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 to drive that thing. I think that, well, that's what Matt is getting at. Um, but 
I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I favour bonus points for tries um, because I, I, I favour that over the long, over a long season. I think if you're if you're playing a season of games, I think you reward tries over the year. But I think when you're playing a four or five team tournament, where especially one particular team is probably a lot weaker than the others, um, and you know Italy in particular, if they it's like in the Heineken Cup. If you're if you're drawn in a uh, if you're drawn in a team with a, a group on the Italian side, you can have an advantage over the other groups. Now you can say, well, they all have to play Italy. Mm-hmm. The problem is Italy are de- very at the moment because they're evolving at a level. They're very dependent on certain players. They're, they're they play differently. You know, they're probably more competitive. Well, maybe not this this year based on the last weekend at home and they are away. I just think you know you could have a very skewed table um, based on how teams perform against Italy the way it's set up at the moment it should we not just be happy Matt to get the odd day like like this as Dennis says there were certain circumstances that produced and funny enough if bonus points did exist maybe we wouldn't have had the day we had at the end of it all oh look it's a, it's a you know look it's a discussion isn't it you know I take Denny's point and that, and that that's Denny's exactly right you're never going to get a day like that every year that you know there might be every four or five years I think Dennis played in one back in 2007, I think Denny was it. You know, that was yeah. was it that year that you you guys had to went to Italy and put on a whole lot of points. It might have been the yeah, year before. Same thing. No, it was 2007. It, yeah, it was 2007. Yeah, you know, look, it's um, and and then my point is just going. We need to encourage it, but but what we need to discourage is the fact that teams can play so poorly and not run the ball and still be at the top of the table. There has to be an advantage towards it. Um, you know, whether whether we skew the points of tries and so on. But right now, the Six Nations benefited hugely from that round of rugby. We can't argue that point. Now, how we, how we you, you, as Dennis says, you can never replicate it completely every every week, and that's not my, my argument. And I take Dennis's point as well about Italy, except everyone would play Italy. But then there has to be some motivation for Italy to develop some backs. Right now, Italy can just keep those forwards and they go and play Scotland and keep it up front and they might get two points like they did this year so they don't come last, they feel great. We've got to develop a mindset in the north to run the ball. And, And let me expand on that just a little bit if I can because if you look back on the World Cups, and this is my driving um, thought process. The World Cup is what this is about. The Six Nations is a great tournament. It's a standalone tournament. But it's, we really need the Northern Hemisphere teams to start winning the World Cup regularly, and that's not occurring. In a big game, in every World Cup, there is a day where the winning team has to do something with the ball in hand to win a game on the process. If you go back to the famous Irish game in 1991, Australia, Ireland scored a try, very famous try down in the in the in the corner there at the old Lansdowne Road. And Australia had a minute eighty or sorry two minutes forty on the clock, and they had to score a try, and they had to run the ball. Now for the Northern Hemisphere teams to beat New Zealand or Australia or South Africa, Australia aren't going to be the threat. It's going to be New Zealand and South Africa. At a certain point, they're going to have to score points. If they go through a six nations up until last weekend they will not they won't do it they're not capable that round of of matches provides a great environment for the northern hemisphere teams to seriously challenge new zealand or south africa at the next world cup 
And we have to find a way where the teams can replicate that environment to run the ball, to want to score points, because they will need to do it at some point in a big game in the World Cup. I think uh, I, I understand the point Matt is making. You know, if you play a certain way week in, week out, you can't just turn up the next weekend and and and, and uh, you know expect against in, against a, a top class side like New Zealand to be able to just change your game and and for it to be effective. I accept that, and I also accept that like, the point which everyone was making. I, I heard a lot of people talking about it after the game of the weekend, and, and again, it's true: is that would England France have yielded what is it eighty points? If it was round one, no, it wouldn't have. Would Ireland, you know, would would Wales have played like they played against Italy in round one or two? Probably not. You know, the teams were were highly motivated to score tries, and hey presto, they did. Mm. And that's the point of the. I think that's the point Matt's making. When the teams had to had to do it or were motivated to do it, they did. I don't think we would have got any of those games. Uh, and any like the drama within the individual games or collectively, if those games had been round one or round two or even round three, um, but when teams had to perform in a certain way, they changed. They changed their approach, and there was lots of flaws in every, in all performances throughout the weekend. Um, but you, world rugby has to look at how can we how can we preserve the integrity of the Six Nations, um, and how can we foster the sort of excitement that we saw on the last weekend um, uh, make it maybe a little bit more balanced over the tour. I'm not looking to do something unrealistic like trying to create conditions where you have that every weekend because it's it's so unique you'd never you'd never achieve it. But I think what Matt is saying is there is there a uh, a middle ground that can be achieved that promotes and incentivizes teams to do it um, and also for the benefit of the teams when they go up against those you know in the, in that World Cup it makes rugby better and better prepared to, to, to make it a more even tournament. Just to take it back to Ireland, because uh, it's, the, the, this is a chat well worth having, but it, it is <laughs> worth reflecting a little more on what happened at the weekend. I was quite interested in the psychology of it, Simon. The um, Schmidt said himself that he wasn't sure uh, what to do after the Wales game or coming into the, the last two games. He wasn't sure how to structure the final week in particular. Uh, he decided to give them a day off on Wednesday and he said by Tuesday it was a little bit mopey, everyone moping around a little bit. Uh, Tuesday was a, quite a bad session by all accounts. He texted the players and said, listen, that wasn't great. Take your day off. We'll go again on Thursday. In the meantime, O'Connell had apparently, as as everyone keeps saying, grabbed them by the scruff of the neck. It seems like Sh- what Schmidt largely does in these cases is leaves it to O'Connell to to sort out that side of the things. Yeah, it's a little bit like what um, Clive Woodward said about himself. If if a coach knows his own limitations, I mean, the players know better than us how good Joe Schmidt is at motivating people. And he's clearly brilliant. You know, he's won two handcuffs. He's done all the rest of it. So he's obviously good himself. But maybe if he thinks there's somebody in the squad or a better way of doing it, um, he's not afraid to step back. And I've heard other coaches say this, that it takes real self-confidence to hand it over to a player or to one of the coaches on the management team that's better at that. Um, but but for him to do that and, and then give credit to Paul O'Connell afterwards, you would suggest maybe that is the way it worked. And he said the same, for example, that Owen Redden takes some of the video sessions, some of the tactical sessions. Owen Redden doesn't start a lot of games, but he knows that Owen Redden has that brain in there that can work things out maybe better than he can. So, yeah, if you can give power to other people and then you do what you do for very specific moments. And it also makes the impact of what Joe Schmidt says later in the week it, there's a greater impact because Joe, uh, Paul O'Connell has been talking for the rest of the week. Were you impressed by that side of things, Matt? Because we were a little concerned as to how Ireland would deal with the Grand Slam being gone and a short enough turnaround to this game. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, you know, if you've got Paul O'Connell or 
Brian O'Driscoll at the peak of their powers, you know, in their in their early thirties, you um you, you would definitely use them. You know, you wouldn't you wouldn't not do that. Um, the the player leadership group um, is is hugely important to to any coach, and and the more mature your group, and as they grow with uh, experience, you would you would use them enormously. And I'm I'm not surprised that Joe did it. Um, I, I would actually be surprised if he didn't do it because uh, Paul's a great leader, Lions captain, long-experienced Irish captain, Munster captain, and the players respect everything he says. You, you learn a lot more from your peers as a player than you do from any coach. And having someone like Paul, like Martin Johnson, like Brian O'Driscoll, John Eels at his peak, Richie McCaw in New Zealand right now, those guys carry great gravitas and they, they would do a lot of that um, certainly in the New Zealand setup, the coaches don't do any of the discipline. The discipline is done by the players. And and I think that having Paul saying that and doing that would be something that Joe would have understood very much and and would have encouraged. Um, and, and you've got to respect, you know, Denny's there, and I was privileged to coach Dennis, when, when someone like Dennis or, or Shane Horgan or Malcolm O'Kelly, one of these great players that, that has got a lot of experience, comes and says something to you as a coach, you must listen. It's, it's foolishness and folly to not listen to those people. Just in the same breath, you want those players to be leaders on the field. They have to be leaders off the field. And uh, obviously, Paul, with all that experience, uh, it has done a magnificent job. Does a yeah, coach just have to get out of the way sometimes, Dennis? <laughs> It's just good coaching. I think it's a hallmark of any good coach, I think, to know when to do that and when not to. And it's probably harder to do... I'm, not, I'm trying to cast my mind back. Is it harder to do that international level or is it harder to do it at provincial level where you're having to deal in week... week they're very different jobs that you have to deal in week, week in, week out. Um, I think it's probably... It might be a little bit harder to step back at international level because you've, you've limited time and, uh, you know, you've, you're you're probably trying to make every second count. But I think it's just a sign of a good coach. And I think, um, you know, I think Joe Schmidt keeps a fairly tight rein on uh, on on the Irish squad. Um, but his his ability, obviously, to do that at, at critical times is is key. But it, it, you know, I was thinking that after the going into the game, um, both for Wales and for for Ireland, I was thinking as both those games kicked off, how both sides would deal with uh, the possibility of not making making big um, strides early on in the game. That's why I was impressed with Wales um, because it was pretty tight at half time. And it actually cast my mind back to that game in 2007 uh, where I think at halftime Ireland were only two points up going at halftime and exactly the same margin Wales had. And people were saying, oh, Wales, now they might not be able to do it. But I, I, I did remember how you know, we felt great at halftime even though the scoreboard wasn't. And we, there was moments of frustration. But I, I thought the difference for Wales in that match where they had just come through an f- incredibly physical battle a week er- a week earlier, the, probably as a greater physical effort as any side has had to make in international rugby. The fact they were able to find that extra gear was very impressive. And the same for Ireland. You know, they had, had lost a game. They had to go to Scotland. And I was thinking, uh, you know, a very, very difficult place for Ireland to have been in that match would have been 20 minutes into the game having the same start like they had against Wales if they hadn't scored early if they'd given penalties away if Scotland had settled on your way from home they would have been thinking this is actually going to be a long day but what they, they did exactly the opposite they went out they scored early and 15 minutes into the game 
you know, it was one team in total control and you're going to get the, the feeling that maybe Scotland might be able to, you know, a few guerrilla attacks and come away with a few points here or try there. But but very much earlier on, you just sense, OK, this Irish team is here to win the championship. They, they're showing no ill effects of last week. Matt, just a last word. Everyone's talking about the tactical, the the relief that we showed we, we can take options to the World Cup, that we aren't just a kicking team, we aren't just a, a strategic team in that way. That's one side of it. But also the confidence that this should bring to the players, allowing for the fact that it was down to something that happened in another game at the end of it. But you've got Keen Healy and Johnny Sexton. These kind of guys have won three Heineken Cups and two Six Nations Championships now. Should, th- should that auger as well as anything for what lies ahead in the World Cup. That we, we, I know we say this every time going into a World Cup, but this time we really should be confident we can do a job. Absolutely, mate. Winning, winning's everything. Winning's, winning's the gig. And, uh, you know, they, they have shown back-to-back for the first time in Irish history that they can win. And, you know, I was critical of their attack, and I still am, but I was, I was absolutely in awe of their defence, the defence won that game. The, uh, the the fact that the other teams, England and and Wales, scored all those tries, but they let their opposition score a number of points. It was the fact that Ireland only scored four tries, but their defence and their their mental uh, resolve to keep the opposition to to very little was not diminished under the pressure, and they won is huge going into a World Cup. Um, they, they, Ireland are in a very very good position. They have great halves. They have uh, perhaps the best nine and ten in the world. Certainly, they've got the best ten, I think, in the world. They're better than New Zealanders, much better than the Australians and the English. Um, a phenomenal mall, uh, a, a, a brilliant defensive system. You know, they only let in fifty-six points. England let in let in a hundred at the next best, and they also had a uh, have fantastic coaches. They've just got to get their running game up to order, and and they're in this World Cup with a real show. Dennis, last word on that. I asked Shane, Ireland to win the World Cup? No, I think, I think the point is made, that, that Matt makes is right. The, the, there's nothing wrong with saying that's the type of game they need to play more. You know, I heard Clive Woodward say before Ireland played New Zealand last um, year. He said, well, he was asked, well, who's going to win this game and how are Ireland going to win this game? And he said, well, the only way Ireland can beat New Zealand is if they score three tries because New Zealand will score three tries. So to, to beat New Zealand, you've got to outscore them. Um, you know, and that's exactly what Ireland almost did. Mm-hmm. But that's the way you have to play. You have to be able to play that way all the time. So I, I take Matt's point on that very much so. I think Ireland are, you know, we're, I'm obviously delighted they won the championship, back-to-back championships. They've, as Matt said, huge mental winners in the side. The reality is, is all the teams of, you know, three, three of those sides in Six Nations could have won it. Uh, it came down to the, literally the bounce of a ball, uh, a scrag tackle, a penalty, you know, it was, so, it was so close. But Ireland were the ones who prevailed because, as Matt said, the defence was best. And I thought over the old tournament they were the best side. Three um, tries conceded. Yeah. Ireland, it's amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. And I think they, that's, they have to now take that and, and build on it again because I think all the sides, certainly England, Wales, um, will all they'll be annoyed they didn't win the championship but they'll say well we've got a lot to build on England have a lot of players coming back Wales are always better the longer they spend in camp into a World Cup and the World Cup is a really great leveller on that so yeah I think Ireland are very well positioned 
Again, a lot will happen how they come out of that group. I think they're, you know, France will be better in the World Cup. They have to be better than they are when they, again, have more times. They don't have the league in between the Six Nations, which I do think impacts on them. Um, their problem, I think, is their coach, but I think they will be better in the World Cup. I think Ireland can get out of that group and all of a sudden then it could, could be final against Argentina. When they get into the last four, anything can happen. Okay, I think so I'm well positioned to do it. We're going to do it. Dennis, that was more than I was uh, hoping for. Listen, it's been great to have you for the duration of the championship and to you, Matt Williams. Thanks very much for chatting again today. Pleasure, guys. Cheers. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, Alan. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Yeah, I think we're guilty there, Simon, of uh, the same crime that a lot of pundits have been over the course of the the Six Nations Championship. And that is maybe not to give due respect to the defensive effort uh, to Les Kiss and his defensive structures in particular to give away 11 points per game and as you say there three tries or whatever it was over the course of an entire championship is insane we shouldn't be of course we'd always like to be scoring more but we won this tournament because our defence is so amazing yeah well analysts were picking out a million things from the day as you know the Sarto try the Heaslip tackle all these little things but you could go back over the other four weeks and pick a million little moments as well where a penalty was missed a try was missed whatever it was but like we're trying to analyse all this but it was lunacy. Like it, w- it didn't even feel like sport on the day. Like there was obviously all those crazy moments that you guys have described and analysed there with, with Matty and, and Shane and all the rest. But the players were all acting a little bit mad outside of the rugby as well. I don't know if you saw early in the game, Castro Giovanni won a scrum. Like the, the Italians just pushed the Welsh scrum like five meters up. Uh, up the field and he just gesticulated to the whole crowd like they just won the game I, was a, I love that the three the front row the Welsh scrum just disintegrated yeah. and the, it was just the, the, the theatrics of it were great that you just see the three big French props all front row Italian. forwards uh, Italian front row forwards emerging triumphant in the middle of Rome yeah Castro, <laughs> Castro was like we've just won a scrum yeah but there was a million moments like that there was the Nakatichi not quite putting the ball down almost putting the ball down did actually put the ball down uh, there was Vincent Abati making catching up with Nakatichi the fastest man on the pitch who yeah, just skinned the whole he just skilled, skinned the whole English team including um, Brown who's really fast and suddenly Dabati, a prop who's known not known for his fitness, let's put it that way, he normally comes on with 15 minutes to go and suddenly catches up with the fast guy in the field to finish <laughs> off a let of the field try. There was the Hugue quick tap at the very end. Uh, Vanditti, when Italians, I think they were 50 points down at the time, they were a man down and he took a quick tap and none of the Italians wanted to do it. They were all miles behind the play and they just wanted to kick it in and just kick it into touch and start the game again. Um, and then the very end, Chris Robshaw, I don't know if you saw this, when... Um, they won the line out. This is at the very end of the game, and it, the English mall is going really well. <laughs> and uh, like it looked like they were sucking in more and more French players, and then his head pops up out of the top of the mall, and he starts calling all his English players into the mall. Like this is just the English nation on the charge here. Yeah, it, just the whole day was amazing rugby moments, but rugby players acting like crazy men. That last one, that that mall was amazing. He's at the, the, I watched it again. I watched the BBC commentary. Having watched the the Orchard commentary on the day, I watched the BBC and I, actually I'm not sure if, if it was Hugh Cowell or Ortiz or Eddie Butler but one of them made the point that there were only two players not in that in that mall 
those players were Cipriani and might have been who, uh, whoever the scrum half was. And you're thinking, in fairness to Cipriani, you're probably keeping your head there. You're ignoring Rob. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know what to do in these things. I'm just going to be standing there. I might as well stand out here so that if the ball, when everyone else is sucked in, I can run in in the corner. Uh, yeah, totally. Everybody would be losing their marbles. That's what, uh, that's what sport's all about. Ken, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of marbles being lost in football over the weekend. We're going to talk about that in the podcast, the football podcast. That's... Yeah... <laughs> They have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. You walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you want? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, not say it to now. I'm down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? So, Martin O'Neill is back in town. Owen? Uh, you weren't expecting that, were you? Oh, wow. <laughs> that's, that's the big news from the weekend? Martin O'Neill and the Ireland squad are back in town. All right. Because we do have a big um, game coming up against Poland next Sunday. Sunday, 7.45 kickoff. Um, pretty strange time for a uh, for a big qualifier. But we'll be hearing about that at the start of that week. We'll also talk a little bit on about a couple of the class goals that were on yesterday. One of them in Spain and one of them in England. Which classical floated your boat more? The Barcelona game was a bit lackluster, wasn't it? A bit flat, wasn't it? Yeah, even the atmosphere. I don't know if it was just a, a bad piece of TV directing, but after Barcelona, after Suarez had scored his really good goal, the camera picked out a bunch of very bored-looking middle-aged Barcelona fans. Yeah. They were politely clapping. Suarez has just scored against Real Madrid in the Classic. Everything about it was a little bit weird. And then, of course, it was all the, the play acting. Yeah, well, the play acting was was shocking. Whereas in the whereas in the English one, you had some genuine foul play, <laughs> you had some proper foul play, some potential leg breakers. Stephen Gerrard, Phil Jones, <laughs> Phil, Phil Jones. Well, if I only mean, England had had Phil Jones at Twickenham <laughs> to smash his way through the heart of that French uh, backline, he absolutely smashed Adam Lallana. I, I, I mean, that's the, you don't you rarely get to see you don't get to see guys like Adam Lallana on a rugby field. Very often anymore. It was Courtney Laws versus uh, Jules Plisson. Oh, only, I saw that. Only about kind of whatever it was, twenty hours later. It was like a very faithful reenactment, basically, only with a, with less arms involved. Less arms involved, but the impact was was quite similar. And then there was another another Jones one, which definitely would have had him sent off in a rugby match. Uh, but was just English football <laughs> on Jordan Henderson. It's like that's why we've got yellow cards in English football. Don't do it again. So. I know the one you're talking about, yeah. It was, um, it's a wild kick. A kick, yeah. I mean, he was like, you, you're not going to get past me here, Henderson. Yeah. Henderson knew what was coming, you know. Phil just, Jones can. He, he, just, he just timed it wrong. He just got there a couple of seconds too late. <laughs> a couple of seconds. <laughs> just a couple of seconds. Do you know how far Four it's possible to, to move? And <laughs> you can Four actually... to eight seconds too late there, Phil. Phil Jones strikes me okay. as the kind of character, Ken, who if Chris Robshaw was calling him into a late driving mall, he would answer that call to arms. Bill Jones' straight, head would already have been between Chris Robshaw's legs. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ensuring that... Uh, he wouldn't have needed to be called in, Phil Jones. <laughs> Phil Jones would have definitely been at the bottom of that. Heaving and straining. But a game, lad. And yes. uh, who could deny? And an, an inherently hilarious footballer to watch. <laughs> I don't think there's any doubt about that. The, the, the promise of calamity never too far away. And the promise as well of leg-breaking tackle also ever-present. All right, the celebrations continued yesterday. The Irish women won their second uh, Six Nations title in three seasons and needed a 27-point buffer against Scotland and blew them away by just a 70 points in the end to get the job done. Ireland centre Jenny Murphy was superb on the day and joins us now. Jenny, congratulations, first of all. Uh, the last 24 hours, I guess, have been a lot of fun. 
Um, yeah, there's, there's, it's been it's been buzzing to be honest. Um, from from the middle of the, the final whistle blew um, up until like our reception that we got home Dublin Airport. It's been absolutely fantastic. Like I've said it, I've said it loads before, but like Irish support, it's it's phenomenal as always, and you could you couldn't ask for anything better. So yeah, all the girls are absolutely beaming, and we're just really delighted we have a medal around our neck. Yeah, it's great to hear because uh, I, I remember how low you guys felt after the the World Cup defeat to England. It, it seemed like almost the win against New Zealand had been forgotten. You, you were really beating yourselves up over not performing on the day against England. Are those memories all wiped away when you achieve a second Six Nations like this? Um, like yes and no. Um, obviously we're we're delighted with 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 getting the, like that silver and bringing the trophy back home to Dublin. Um, but no, like it's it's a World Cup semi final and, and you want to perform. So no, that'll that'll still be in my head until the next World Cup and we can right some wrongs and go all the way. So no, it's still going to be there and it's still going to motivate me to do to do better. But this is a great way to kind of. To, to counteract, I guess, the feelings that we had in in August 2014. So no, it's great to bounce back from that defeat. Um, yeah, I probably I probably shouldn't be. I don't know why I'm putting that in your head uh, on this day of all days, Jenny. I sh- I sh- we should be focusing Listen, on the positive. You're not you're not going to be able to wipe the smile off. My face. <laughs> you can say whatever you like, and I'm still going to be beaming. So don't worry about that. The uh, it was such a, a comprehensive job that you did in Scotland. Obviously, Irish fans. And I'm sure you guys yourselves are watching the rugby on Saturday. Um, everybody was put through the ringer for about six or seven hours. You guys seem to go out and just get the job done with the minimum of stress on Sunday. Uh, yeah, like so it was heart attack stuff, obviously, with men. And then Saturday night as well, England were playing France and we wanted England to, to get a win. So all we had to do was, was beat Scotland, not all we had to do, but... Um, but France, France did the job, and we knew we had to beat Scotland by 27 points to to get the trophy. But it's nice to know. I think the men, um, the men were kind of final with the blue, and they didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't know if they had the trophy or not. And we were lucky enough to know this is the target that we needed to hit, and this is what we had to do. And to be fair, everyone has a very good game, and everyone did their jobs. And I think come come the first half, we we knew it was in us to to just keep on pushing and, and keep on racking up that score and have a comprehensive win. And we were lucky enough that we did that. Yeah, there was no sense of panic about it at any stage, really. It just seemed quite methodical. Uh, you, you you scored tries whatever ways you needed to score them through the backs, mauling them over a couple of times. It did, there didn't seem to be that there was a, a clear plan, and there didn't seem to be any deviation, any need to deviate from that. It was all very uh, very clinical, I guess is the word. Um, yeah, we we knew we wanted to keep it execution basic and really direct, strong, simple rugby. And it's fantastic when you've you've got a pack like we do that that are able to do the job when we ask them to every single time. It comes scrum time, line out, and to be fair, our, our mall this year has been one of our best weapons and are one of our best assets. So when you've got that kind of in, in a bag, it's extremely handy to kind of call up on that and be like, no, listen, drive it on. And they've they've executed that so well. And then slice of knee breaks, boot, it's kind of, it's, it's fantastic. And as backs, we've kind of grown in confidence and I, we've had a, we have a new backline this year. But um, as the games have progressed, we've, we've gelled more together and, and have played like we've played some good rugby, so it's kind of exciting now. Come come next year to see what we're what we're capable of doing and what we're capable of playing like. Because yeah, it ended on high. Like 
you were heavily involved yourself all day. Uh, scored a great try at the end. I guess uh, having created some and having played well, there was no way you were passing that at the end. Um, um, I've had a few digs myself about the passing. Um, yeah, um, I just, to be fair, I'm, I'm probably a fairly direct um I would like to think aggressive runner and myself and Ali Miller were like are we, are we going to run this last are we going to kick it out and North Staples it was like no we're going to run it and Ali I was like Ali just stay on my inside and and uh, we'll see what happens she's like no you can run over go for it and um, normally it doesn't work out that way but um, the kind of gap opened up and probably a little bit selfish myself which just kind of went for it and I'm delighted to kind of be able to to get um, a try on board but no just happy overall like, icing on the cake but like team win and everything was just fantastic yeah. so proud of the girls and absolutely a bit of selfishness at that that stage of proceedings I think <laughs> is, is understandable I mean, you guys lost key players um, in the last year or so pretty much an entire coaching team uh, gone as well did you surprise yourself we always hear of teams being in transition is always the way you hear these things but uh, you guys didn't seem to see it that way you still saw it as realistic that you were going to go and win a Six Nations or could win a Six Nations this year yeah, we we had retirements and we we had some great people leave. However, the people that left, they made an indelible mark on 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 the team, and it, I think it'll always be there. Like people speak about, like Lynn and Grace Davis and Fiona and, and Sean and and Goose, and um, but they've they've made a mark on every player that they've that they've coached that they've played with I know myself like Lynn and, and Gracie have been have had a massive impact on how I play rugby and kind of that that ethos that they've left behind is still there so coming into the Six Nations yeah there was a lot of people like oh this is this is a transitional period and this is this is whatever it is but at the end of the day we're kind of like yeah transitional period but like second why not we believe in ourselves and we're more than capable of doing very well so let's not think about it too much let's just kind of go out and do do our job and if we do our job well good things are going to happen and and it did so yeah delighted to be honest people have jobs to go back to and all the rest of it uh, this week but uh, when do the celebrations end do they continue today at least um i think i think we're going to have Kind of a nice breakfast that with, with with some stuff that really probably shouldn't be on your our menu. <laughs> the sausages can't go right, yeah. So, um, but then after a few of the girls on the 15s team are involved with the seven, so we're we're away to Vancouver on Sunday um, for a training uh, a week and a half for training weekend. So, or, or for training week, so that we've got that to focus on. So I've I've had my celebrations now and kind of focus on that. Um, um, but I'm sure, yeah, some of the girls sure. will uh, will be wearing the medal out tonight and going mad again. Well, enjoy the the fry up anyway, Jenny. And listen, thanks very much. C- congratulations again. Thanks very much. Appreciate it. Well, I don't know. I can't say I agree with the fry up as celebration. Wild celebrations, uh, <laughs> uh, get, getting the fry up in. But fair play and, and richly deserved. I managed not to completely wreck Jenny's buzz there. So yeah, Jenny, no, I mean that was a great win, rest, but I mean obviously you had that heartbreak in the World Cup. <laughs> Let's talk about the heartbreak in the World Cup rather than the you know the Six yeah, Nations title. All of the you know, you, those four games we just won there in the last six weeks. Unbelievable stuff from the from the women's team, from the men's team. Amazing weekend of rugby. There was a lot of sympathy for England. Yes, yeah, so we mentioned Mike Brown earlier on, and uh, as Shane said, if I was Mike Brown, I'd certainly be thinking what Mike Brown was thinking. Although maybe I wouldn't be saying it. But we must spare a thought for the Welsh kid. Mm. A lot of disappointed Welsh people around at the weekend. Mm. 
Oh, who's it was, it was you helpfully collated them uh, on Twitter as well, Ken, which, which you know, I'm sure they appreciate it. Ex- explain that. A series of four photographs. Uh, the first one of Sam Warburton and Warren Gatland looking extremely disappointed. I think from the Rugby World Cup in 2011. So. Then uh, Tom Jones uh, wiping a tear from his eye. Dabbing his eyes and uh, something had moved into tears in the X Factor, I think. <laughs> the voice, Ken, come on. You've got to be more accurate than that. I Catherine Zeta-Jones so. crying. <laughs> And, in a uh, movie who, of some kind, I'm not yeah, sure. And who, what was and, the fourth? I think it's Anthony Hopkins in The it Remains is. of the Day. Or Shadowlands. He, <laughs> it's either Shadowlands or The Remains of the Day. One of those where Anthony Hopkins really loves a woman and yeah. can't, either Emma Thompson or Deborah Winger, but can't bring himself to break down the bars of his repressed English personality to admit it. And uh, unfortunately, it's too late. And uh, he shed some tears. I mean... Is I'm it, sure he felt much the same way from the Hollywood It was just Hills. a helpful suggestion to, you know, the, the uh, Welsh Mail. Just if they, if they, or the Wales, what, what's, the, what's the name of the Welsh newspaper? That, well, there's Wales Online. The Western Mail. The Western, Western Mail, Mail yeah. yeah, yeah. Just a helpful suggestion to the Western Mail for a, you know, good page one spread, you know, if they fancied it. <laughs> we have got on a little bit today, probably, possibly longer than the usual average mean time of a podcast. But, you know, it's a... It's a hell of a weekend and uh, we were glad to be able to chat about it today. Thank you very much, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you too, Owen. And thank you, Kieran. And thank you, Ken. Big football podcast coming up later today. So enjoy that one if you get a chance to listen. Take care. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Even on a budget, Quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.